Welcome to Forecast, the foreshadow podcast, seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. This season, our theme is Songs of Ascents, Pilgrimage and Worship, exploring the journeys we make in search of wholeness in God. I'm Josh, and with me today is Linda McCulloch-Moore, an author of fiction, essays, and poetry, and a mentor to writers. She is the winner of the, the Push Cart Prize and other awards. Today, we will hear her read and discuss one of her poems that will be published on Foreshadow, and we'll hear about her journey of faith and what has nourished and strengthened her. So welcome, Linda. Thank you. Would you... Uh, would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Um, maybe say a little bit about uh, who you are that people may not know about um, if they just read your biography online. Um, perhaps uh, more about the work you do or what part of the world you come from. Sure. Um, I uh, live in Western Massachusetts um, and um I started life as a psychotherapist and then at some point decided that I wasn't going to do that anymore and began writing uh, about 36 years ago. And um, initially the way I began writing was sitting in a living room with a group of people in the evening writing for 20 minutes and then reading aloud what we'd written. And what I found was a poem is about as much as you can write in 20 minutes. So I began my career writing poetry and um, published a fair amount of that initially. And then I realized that I was really a fiction writer, which has been most of my career. Hmm. So I've mostly worked with short stories. Um, I published one novel initially and then uh, two collections of short stories. And then um, more recently, a book called The Book of Not-So-Common Prayer, which mm. is um, a book of essays about the practice of praying four times a day and how someone with a, a normal life might do that very practically and mm. just sharing some of my experiences with that. Mm. Um, back in the day when there were print magazines uh, in the Christian world, I wrote for probably 50 Christian periodicals, mostly essays or devotional pieces. Um, and then during the pandemic, at the very beginning, I decided that I would write a poem every morning. Oh, wow. Not okay. having written poetry for a long, long time. Mm. And um, then I would post them on Facebook immediately. And I loved having the interaction mm. while in isolation. That was really nice, yes. uh, hearing back from people and sharing that. And then I began sending those poems uh, out and publishing that work. And... Um, I'm also at work on a novel um, that I've been working on for about 10 years. Oh, and wow. Okay. I think maybe it will be finished one day. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's as much as I can say in terms I of the timeline. 
Okay. But um, yeah, so that's just an overview of my writing life. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, and I'd like to hear you to read your, your one of your poems in a minute. But um, uh, one question I had based on what you said, and I haven't prepared you for this question, so I hope you don't mind. Um, you, you mentioned that you had worked as a psychotherapist, but moved into writing. So um, can I just ask, what do you see a connection between psychotherapy and writing? If there is a connection, what might that be? Yeah, I think there's a very strong fundamental connection. Um, and I think that, I mean, the truism is that everyone becomes a therapist in order to solve their own psychological problems like that's the attraction mm. of the field okay but i think that um the study of psychology lends itself to a lot of introspection and a lot of slowing down and thinking about things and wondering about things and i think you could make a case that writing is really doing that on paper mm. mm -hmm. and also because of my particular interest in fiction, mm -hmm. um, I think that it was a natural segue almost, uh, having very in-depth conversations with people over a number of years in a therapy setting. Mm, yes. And then a lot of my stories, I would say, are pretty interior. My son would say, nothing happens. <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, but uh i think there's a lot of thinking that goes on interesting. in my stories and mm. thinking about the self yes interesting okay well I, I wish we could talk more about that but today we'll have to focus on pilgrimage and and um but your poem that you're going to read actually i wonder if there is a connection there with um fiction in the sense of there's a story in the poem um mm. the poem is called asylum and um but I don't want to say any more about it before you read it. So maybe maybe we could continue that conversation in, after you read the poem, though. But would you be willing to read that poem, please? Sure. Asylum. Not everybody gets to where they're going in an ambulance. I walked to this asylum, strolled, ambled, carrying a book of figures, take that how you will, a sandwich, no worse for the wear, lettuce more forgiving than we credit. I had come to stroll the grounds to see the dogs not stay in any year-long way, not be committed, as they say in the prisoner-taking business. I had come to look around, scratch some new Towser's ears. Towser, the shiver dog, I put in the refrigerator when he was two and I was four and we were hardly friends at all, or certainly not after his refrigeration. That's how it goes. There's one little falling out, some miniature misunderstanding a fatal gunshot wound and no one's interested in your side of the story. So I had come to pat the heads of animals with shorter memories, longer tails, owners on leashes with a button you can push to draw them closer to the dog. I had not come to the asylum for asylum. There are drugs for that which 
with side effects to change not just your mind, but your religion. If I had thought to go somewhere with any fixed intention, well, I would have traveled in a time machine to Southern France in 1640, to a nunnery with 16 inch stone walls and nuns made out of harder stuff than that. And had them put me in a room, spare, clean, beyond all reason, a cross above the bed with starched white sheets and lavender and lavender, and had them tuck me in and bring me cups of things that taste like broth, but really are the juice of psychotropic boysenberries, strained in midnight kitchens where nuns pray. Don't look at me like that. You dream of loony bins like me. You call them schools named after women who did never marry. You call them retirement villages. No matter. The boilerplate in the brochure is in identical Lilliputian font. The images stock photographs. I had not come to stay. Let's not pretend that's something novel. Did you intend to be here now? I pulled on the back door idly as I pull on metal-plated oak doors of stately churches in big cities in bad neighborhoods, never thinking they might open. Offer me salvation or a place to shake the rain and worry from my hair get my thoughts together in one place. I pulled on the door of the old asylum, now deserted, left to rot, abandoned, as I thought, when legislators bust the former inmates down to Main Street, where they would find no place to dry themselves on rainy days, see church above. And sunny days would be devoid of even that emotional employment. It was a weekday morning in the summer. I pulled on the door. It opened. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really, it, I, I've been reading this poem um, many times. Um, there's so many layers to it. And, um, and I think we won't, obviously we won't be able to discuss all the questions I have about the poem or um, in this conversation, but I also appreciated hearing you uh, read it. There was a different experience of hearing you read it in the sense of um, just moving through the different rooms of the poem and the different um, images that that um, different stanzas kind of evoke. Um, so I really appreciated that. And um, and, and I really I look I really look forward to our publishing it, and I hope our readers will enjoy and read it and 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 and, and glean things from it. Um, but not able because although we are not able to, you know, um, ask about or you know we're not able to talk about much of the poem. I still would like to know what inspired the poem. A lot of the poetry that I write gets written in a morning and. Um, this particular one took a little longer than that, like about 20 years. I remember writing a rough draft about 20 years ago when I had visited 
a former state asylum for the mentally insane. It's on the door. And uh, it was closed by, uh, by a legal process. And um, I walked around the grounds, which are mostly used for people walking their dogs. So that was the, the physical setting that, that sort of prompted the, the rumination. But then I kept thinking about what would it be like to go into one of those buildings? What would it be like to be an inmate? forever you know people stayed there for for lifetimes they went there as children sometimes and um then it opened up into my thinking in broader terms about life being some kind of journey or pilgrimage if you will and the idea of the place where you end up mm. in your life and thinking of that very broadly and maybe a little bit obliquely. Uh, a lot of my poetry mm. is very dogmatic. It's like I'm telling you what to do this afternoon. Okay, you know? okay. And this I feel is not. So mm. I'm, I'm sort of partial to it because I think it's the sort of poem that you can do what you want with it. Mm. And I think that different things will have a little ping maybe. Uh, one line that I like in particular is, did you intend to be here now? Yeah, I was going to say, actually mention that um, because that one really, um, when I read it and you confirmed this, I wondered if you were asking the reader to interpret that as, as they're reading the poem, the very situation and place and time they're in, um, wherever that is. So that will be different for different people and even with for the same person at different times of their life when they're reading the poem. And it sounds like that—that that is what you're intending. That exactly. Making exactly. you really think about the journey, what brought you to where you are in this moment. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really powerful. And because, um, because you know, that's, I think that I'm reading a book right now by um, Wendell Berry about, uh, it's called uh, The Memory of Old Jack. I'm not sure if you've, you've read it, but um, it's about, um, yeah, so you you might know that it's it's about um, a man reflecting on the mostly the trials of his life, and 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 how that has brought him to where he is uh, in the present moment, and and it's just a powerful. It's also relevant to pilgrimage because I think we often do that. We reflect on what brought us here. What about the cho the choices we've made, the circumstances outside of our control that have um, led us to where we are, and so um, so did you intend to be here now? Um, in, I mean, in, in many ways, I would say, uh, no, there were so many things that outside of my control that have brought me to where I am. Um, I, I, I couldn't choose the family I was born into and, and so many other things. Although we also do make choices in, in our life, I believe that um, that that kind of form this dance with um, the things outside of our control. But um, but yeah, and, and you mentioned... Um, that there are many different ways that we can interpret this. And when the other editor of Foreshadow and I were discussing this poem, um, one of the interpretations that came up was that um, the asylum could be a representation of something that's more difficult to get out of than into, such as an external space like um, a community that might be harmful or an internal space like an addiction. Um, I'm not sure if that's that was your intention, but those are some of the interpretations that came out through reading the poem. 
Well, and also the question related to that of how much volition is involved in where we end up. You know, I, I would have been, you know, the poem says, I would have chosen 1640 in France, like, <laughs> what was my choice, you know? Uh, but I end up in this particular asylum. And I think with age, and I, I would like to recommend old age to your listeners because it's absolutely amazing in the way that God weaves things together of an entire lifetime into a, into a single piece that's so enormously interesting to, to think about and to um, experience and appreciate. But, you know, we're all going somewhere through our lives and so many choices seem random and so many things are happenstance. And then to have the long view and realize the extraordinary design hmm. of a lifetime and how maybe things that we thought um, weren't what we might have chosen, we realize often in the end were exactly perfect for us. Hmm. Uh, I've often wanted, this is very confessional, I've often wanted to live a much more active um exciting, involved kind of life. And I've realized recently that leading a very quiet, often contemplative life has given me the opportunity to treasure very small things deeply, really deeply. And what a gift that is, I mean, I can't express it well in words, mm. but I'm working on it. <laughs> mm. I like to put everything into words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, and I think and put and putting them into words is a way to treasure them as well. I think and to cherish them in a, in a different way than just thinking about them, maybe, um, or yeah, um, and yeah, and what you said there also reminds me of a conversation I had with a, a poet a few weeks ago, um, episode forty. Too, I believe, with Ryan Keating and how he had thought that his he was called to live in um, in one country, but circumstances changed and he had to move to another country. And um, and just how he's finding, um, as he describes it, deep wells of healing um, that he that he's finding nourishment from in in this state of exile that he he has been in. And so that's another connection with what you're saying of how. Oftentimes, we may not have chosen the places where we have ended up, and yet we can see God's hand at work there, and we can see life there, um, and and um, and so that in itself is a pilgrimage, maybe an unintended pilgrimage. Um, so often we think of pilgrimages as we intend to go on this set path that has a set route um, to a holy destination, but maybe what maybe what we're describing now is also our life and the twists and turns that it make. Um, we can see God's hand and maybe guiding us on on that a pilgrimage we hadn't expected to be on. So, with that, if um, if we could move on to now a question of um, if you could describe a pilgrimage that you have been on, and that can be an actual physical pilgrimage to a holy site, 
or um, a description of your spiritual journey or um, something else or both? Well, I'll just just riff for a minute and um, say that what first comes to mind is a pilgrimage that I uh, went on to Northumbria to visit uh, all of a lot of the holy sites um, mm. throughout throughout that area. And it's one of my absolute favorite parts of the world. Um, and in thinking back on it today, the things that are striking about the pilgrimage, it was maybe two weeks visiting holy sites with a lot of stopping in churches, churches for, for uh, services and praying and um, very focused on God very intentionally during the two weeks. And the things I remember are a lot of the human interactions with other people and the physical setting. I have such vivid images of physical places and uh, it's very hard to describe how meaningful the memories of the places are. Also, I sort of like, I mean, I told you I make up stories, but this is a true story. Um, I fell in love with somebody on the pilgrimage. And as it happened, he had read my book of not so common prayer the night before the pilgrimage. Oh, wow. So that we arrived, you know, our first night, we have this little cocktail party and we're introducing ourselves. And he says, I read your book. And I say, you're the one, you know, and uh, we really cared very deeply for each other and uh, had a great affinity. And there was, I think that there's always something about love relationships that open us up, that make us more vulnerable, that make us more open. And if I would say anything about a lifelong pilgrimage, it is that it's so much about feeling, it's so much about being touched and being moved and emotional experience. And I think in the certain intellectual climate that I sort of live in here where I am and in my life, you can easily be led astray and think it's all about the mind. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking this week about the idea, Jesus saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And I think it takes a long, long time to realize how much it's about the heart, how much it's about the heart. Mm. And um, the things that, that really matter are the things that touch your heart. One of my favorite lines in the world, 
David Brooks says, you know, you go to school and you try to get good grades so you can get into a good college and then a good internship and then a good job and then a good career. And he said, when really at the end of your life, all that matters is who you married. Mm. You know, I mean, the heart stuff is mm, what mm -hmm. really matters in a lifetime. Mm. So, so I think that's really important. The other thing I'd say about pilgrimage is I recently read a book by John White called Daring to Draw Near. And he talks about how in the Old Testament, God is always the one who comes to people with messages, with announcements, with plans. It's not the people coming to God saying, I've got a plan for my life. And um, uh, um, I don't know. I just, there's something that, that resonates with me in terms of two particular memories where I had gone to a particular place away from home for a week or so, and God came to me in a very, I just what felt like a very concrete way. Hmm. And on one of those occasions, I felt as though God was saying to me, I'm gonna give you a choice and I'll honor your choice, whichever you choose. And there were two stairways going up to a building. And it was like, if you're gonna choose this way, go up the right stairway. And if you're gonna choose this way, go up the left stairway. Mm -hmm. And that was a really pivotal moment in my life, mm. um, choosing the stairway. And and they weren't, they didn't have different value. They were just two choices. Right. And then another trip where I just, experienced God in such a different way and it had everything to do with place. So I think that in thinking about pilgrimage and and again this re maybe reverts back to the asylum poem there's something very significant about place. Uh, and I also think there's something really important about leaving your usual surround and going someplace that's new to you or different to you. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's there's a lot there to think about for myself and I, I think our listeners as well. Um, one thing that you said that I really appreciate as well is, in addition to the fact that you mentioned Northumbria, um, Northumberland, uh, in Northumbria. Well, I guess similar. Um, I, I'm living in the UK, and uh, I, I I also love that part of the UK, and. Um, I'm sure Holy Island was one of the places you visited, and um, but the, but I, I agree with you that uh, pilgrimage is, um, is is about the heart in the sense of uh, uh, you described the people you're with, but also in the landscape and and also what motivates us to go on pilgrimage. I think is is that deep connection, that search for connection with God, with with others, with the world, um, through the deepest part of ourselves and. And if um, if it's just a, a mental thing, then we can just maybe look it up on Google, look at photos of the places we're going to, read some theology on online. But it's really involves our whole body and uh, and which mode um, this journey to encounter God and um, and and I and I, I just I connect with that too. Also with um, 
the journey to uh, worship, uh, in my experience of worshiping on a Sunday, is, I, I see as a little pilgrimage. And um, it, it involves physically going from one place to another, usually going to a church service or um, and, and for me and um and and how it's it's for me it's also about the beauty uh, for me beauty is important and um the the uh, beauty of the music of of the even the light in the church building things like that help my heart to connect to god more i think and so i really appreciate that you described um the importance of the heart and the connections that it makes um on when on pilgrimage um well what are some what are some things that um, nourish your journey uh, or strengthen your journey? Um, and those things might be books or songs, um, important people in your life. Um, you, you've mentioned one, where, like the pilgrimage to Northumbria, but what are some other things that have, have strengthened your journey? Well, it's very important to me being part of um, my local Anglican church. And... Um, I, when I was a psychotherapist, I did therapy groups and was trained in, in group work. And that's been a big part of my life through the years. So at the moment, I have 12 groups that I'm running oh, wow. on Zoom, okay. one of which is a writing group. Uh -huh. So we, we discount that one. 11 of which are Christian groups of one type or another. Hmm. And most of them I would talk about in terms of discipleship groups. Mm -hmm. I think we all hear mandates from scripture in particular ways. And the one that has always captivated me is the command to go make disciples. Hmm. And that's how I understand my work is making disciples and each of the groups has a stated goal of drawing the members of the group closer to the heart of god and that happens in in different ways but there's something i think that's really strengthening people's faith that one way of doing that is being together in a long-term intentional group that's pretty structured, that's not a chit-chat, uh, doing some serious work together. Um, so that really makes a difference for me. I will go so far as saying, I don't know how someone is a Christian uh, without having a group. Like it's just so important. Uh, in my life, and I think important to the people that I that I work with. I also have a ministry. Um, it, there are five major colleges near where I live, and I started a ministry with Orthodox small O uh, Christian faculty at the five colleges, and those groups have been meeting. Um, I started that in two thousand six. And that's been a big part of my sort of freelance ministry. Mm. Um, and having relationships over um, a period of years, I think, is really, really important in a, in a Christian experience. 
Um, I'm also part of a fledgling monastic community called the um, Abbey of the Way, um, which is also in Western Massachusetts. Okay. And um, that's been in formation over the last couple of years, but an intentional um, virtual community, uh, a lay community of believers. And that's been really, really important. Mm. And the other thing is, I'm dead in the water if I don't pray. <laughs> Prayer is, is it. I mean, uh, and I, the more I pray, the more I want to pray. And um, yeah. Thank you. Well, it's been a, it's been a very a privilege to hear from you and very refreshing as well to hear about your experiences, your practices. Um, and, um, and so thank you very much for taking the time for sharing. And, um, and I, we look forward to sharing more of your writing on, on, um, foreshadow. Um, you've mentioned the Abbey of the way. Um, are there any ways that our listeners can, um, perhaps um, connect with you or if you have a website or any, or any, if they want to join your, any of these groups you've mentioned, or I'm not sure if you are opening, if that's open for people, but um, any ways that people might be able to connect with what you're saying practically? Yeah, I, um, I think that um, I'm very happy to give an email address, which I will spell out, which is Cordelia507 at gmail.com. So it's C-O-R-D-E-L-I-A 507 at um, gmail.com. So I'm happy to receive contact at, at, at that address. And also I'm happy to engage with anyone who has an interest in starting discipleship groups or any aspect of writing. I mentor writers and um, yeah. Thank you very much. Well, to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's conversation, let us know by leaving a review, emailing us at foreshadowmagazine at gmail.com, or connecting on various social media platforms. You can also visit foreshadowmagazine.com to read new writings and listen to other conversations. There you can sign up for a free weekly newsletter sharing new work every week. And thanks again to our guest today, Linda, and thank you all for listening. That's the forecast for today.